0: Welcome to CityWare Selector podcast and I'm Margarita Giracosian, news editor at CityWare Selector and joining me today is Dan Scott, CIO at Bontobel Wealth Management. Dan, thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Uh,
0: one interesting thing that I cannot help myself but remark on is your career because you definitely spent a lot of um, experience in the investment side of things but you started as a journalist am i correct how did that develop
1: yeah that's right um so i uh, cut my teeth so to say as a hack at a newswire way back in the 1990s early 90s um and um it's uh, something that i think is very important uh, to keep in mind. Um, When hiring, in fact, I like to make sure that I have a diversity of academic backgrounds. And also, um, I appreciate people that come from different careers, because the way people solve problems really is quite different depending on their educational backgrounds. So I enjoy having people with a legal background around me. I find that lawyers tend to act and uh, process problems differently than people who had a political science background. people that had a finance background and what i don't like is to be surrounded by people that all have the same degree from the same two universities because it creates groupthink so um it's something that um that i feel has helped me i'm having a had a background from journalism um and and i enjoy also being surrounded by people that have different academic backgrounds so we're within the team here we have a pretty good uh mix of, of academic backgrounds maybe on journalism specifically i could say that I think journalists have a way of structuring thought processes because if you're forced to start with a blank piece of paper and and come up with a story, you need to know how to source information. You need to know how to confirm information. You can't rely on other people. You can't um, just assume that things are true. You have to fact check yourself and you have to be able to come up with an argument, a a, a cohesive um, way of, of arguing and a cohesive way of thought process that uh, that other people aren't necessarily used to.
0: Mm-hmm. Sounds like an invaluable set of qualities for a CIO as well and what I've noticed as well because our core audience is fund selectors so they have to deal with a lot of fund mm-hmm. manager interviews and we do too so this kind of thing is in common that they have um, so yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> True yeah
0: Mm -hmm. I was speaking about your um, newly uh, new role like your promotion. Um, I know that it was different when Lars was around but now have you mapped what you want to do with the role and how you want to take it forward.
1: Well, so uh, Lars uh, convinced me to join him here um, a few years back, and um, I was very excited about the idea. We had worked together within CIO before, so we knew each other quite well. I think it's very important when you're starting a new job to understand who you're going to be working for, because who you're working for is sometimes even more important than the firm that you're working for. Um, And what I was very excited about uh, on the firm aspect was that Lars had had a very strong mandate um, here to build up a CIO office, and I wanted to be part of that as well. So the two of us have really built up what we have at Fontable within CIO now, um, and that is a discretionary portfolio multi-asset class offering that has a performance track record now a 3-year performance track record which is beating the major peers and that is something that is a major building block that you know i now uh, take the lead over but i've also helped build up so that's something that's a very strong foundation to work on and other elements going forwards are you know um oh, you, important. But I think what's really important is to maintain that performance in the multi-asset class solutions and to be able to have a, a offering that stands up to the competition. Because in the end, performance is the differentiator. Performance is the reason why clients come to you. Um, and if you have a long-term strong uh, track record, that's, that's what's going to get you the new clients.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, zooming in on performance, that's one of the rockiest times to take the CIO helm, you would say, because these months were nothing like what they've seen before. Some people who went through the financial crisis were saying that this is nothing in comparison it's so different. So, from where you stand, does it compare to 2008? And then secondly, how do you manage to navigate this environment?
1: Yeah, no, I don't think this is uh, we've ever seen anything like this before. We've probably had the fastest ever bear market, followed by the fastest ever bull market. Um, it's it's and then on top of the you know demand shock that we had from COVID nineteen lockdowns bringing us into this incredibly steep recession. um, We also then had an implosion in the oil market as well, because we had a supply shock from Saudi and Russia. So um, really a lot that was thrown at us all at once. Um, And I think what it shows though, is that staying invested, at the end is very important so having a proper strategic asset allocation uh, and then also paying attention to the tactical asset allocation of course is important but having a proper strategic asset allocation and staying invested is very important because you know if you timed this wrong and decided to go underweight at the end of march it's going to be very painful because you won't have caught up with the with the recovery that we've now seen the strongest uh, bull market that we've seen in a long time. So on the tactical um, element we, we actually did get things right at the beginning of, um, of, excuse me, at the end of January, we decided that markets were far too complacent uh, about COVID-19. We decided that you can't just lock down China's economy, uh, lock China out of the global picture and not see um, some collateral damage. And so we decided to go underweight equities then. um, And then we decided to go and neutralize again in March. So the tactical part we got right, what I think has been difficult for us as well as for other investors has been the fixed income allocation. Mm -hmm. Because we understood already before this that high yield is not a great space to be exposed to. There's not really much rewards being given to you unit of risk that you take. Um, I think we understood that as well as others. What we didn't understand is the domino effects that um, we've now seen in, in, into other elements of fixed income allocation.
0: Focusing on value investing, well it doesn't seem like it behaved like people expected it to because for a while it was lagging behind growth but then there was an assumption that the downturn comes and then value rises again and then just hasn't happened. Have we seen everything from value now so is that the death of the style per se I
1: don't, yeah it's a, it's a question i've been asking myself for at least five years uh you know when do, when do we see a mean reversion when does value come back um yeah don't don't fight, the, don't fight the trend, I guess, uh, short term is, is the way to look at it. But um, you know, if, you, if you really do the homework and look at the balance sheets, companies that, um, that, that have strong um, uh, balance sheets and that have earnings potential, those are earnings uh, potential to, to continue to grow their earnings, those are the companies that I, as a CIO, with my fiduciary duty to my clients, are the ones I want to be exposed to. So for me, as a wealth management CIO, the most important thing is quality. Uh, not necessarily value, not necessarily growth or momentum. I want quality because um, quality is what clients who are looking for long-term appreciation of their wealth are looking for. And quality is something that's worked very well for us. So in our equity allocation, we have a strong quality bias. Um, and, and, and we still, even with that strong quality bias, it doesn't mean that we can't own uh, tech names. There are lots of tech names that are, that are quality. And, and and for example, if you if you look at value and what's going on in the value space, I think you'll see all sorts of soul searching happening among value investors too. It has to be a sign that if Warren Buffett, of all value investors, says that he doesn't know what to do with his you know one hundred and twenty seven billion dollars of cash, uh, must be a sign that value investors are a bit confused.
0: Mm-hmm. No, for sure. Um when when we look at for example mixed asset portfolios because you are an expert in that specific area so cash positioning you said that you are pretty much fully invested but uh do you hold a high one at the moment uh, have you deployed it at all
1: cash no uh, ca- mm-hmm. we don't believe that cash is a viable asset class so no cash mm-hmm. is not uh, cash is something that we keep it's, it's- as close to zero as possible so um, cash is, is definitely not for us a viable asset class and we um, if we're looking for something a portfolio stabilizer if we're looking to have a non-market correlated asset um, then we're invested in alternatives we're invested in gold as an alternative currency for example so so gold is something that's worked very well for us we decided to to increase our our positioning in gold quite some time ago actually and it's worked very well um, we never added gold to our allocation or added it as an overweight position because we are expecting the price to go up. It has, and we've benefited very much from that. Um, but the reason why we increased the allocation is because we were expecting a wave of volatility to rise and we just wanted a volatility buffer in the portfolio.
0: Some value investors, going back to the topic, some value investors uh, actually refer to ESG as one of the negative impacts on their investment universe. So do you think actually ESG investing and the craze for ESG investing actually is something that contributes and negatively to value investment style?
1: I don't know. I mean, I think for sure um, there is a lot of capital um, that is moving and uh, going in different directions because of ESG. Um, But ESG is something that we've always been committed to. In fact, um, we have a team of over 40 ESG analysts across the different fontable boutiques, and they all also um, have very very colorful discussions amongst themselves about what is ESG and how do you define ESG and so we definitely welcome the EU action plan at the moment and the taxonomy so that we can get a a, a defining of ESG and we can get a proper labeling of ESG, because there are far too many investors out there that are greenwashing. And that's something that annoys us a lot because um, ESG is very important and we don't believe that you give up on return by being an ESG investor. In fact, a lot of ESG, especially the G part, is very traditional investing g is fundamental to being an investor i want to make sure that there's a proper governance structure i wouldn't invest in a company where i have issues about the way a supervisory board deals with a management board for example so g is for us very important for any type of investor and then the the e and the s of course um are are now important societal trends because we have a commitment to move to more environmental and also socially sustainable ways of living. So um, those parts are also important to traditional investors because when you're forecasting your return assumptions, you want to know which companies are well positioned to grow their earnings and their revenues over time. And those are gonna be the companies that meet The demands for the, you know, of society. And so if you're a company that isn't transitioning from coal to geothermal or from um, meat based to plant based, well, you've kind of like missed the whole trend of economic development over the next two decades. And so those wouldn't be good investments anyway. Um, So, no, we think ESG is central and you need to have it in focus and you need to be exposed to ESG, even if you don't believe in ESG. So um, you should believe in ESG, and, um, and you definitely don't give up performance investing ESG. In fact, we can show it in our mandates that our ESG, and again, uh, we're very strict about what we consider, what we're willing to give an ESG label here. Um, actually, the performance has been strong. It hasn't underperformed uh, traditional mandates.
0: Greenwashing is indeed quite a big part where like, people get concerned about it, for example. So speaking about that, If you see the amount of assets that flowed into the space, you don't quite know how much of that is genuinely ESG or marketed that way. So aren't you worried about either bubble form in here or some structural problems related to that, for example?
1: So there are some structural problems. You're correct. So, for example, there are certain assets, there are certain names that are appealing to, you know, all of these ESG assets, ETFs or whatever you have out there that uh, we don't necessarily know exactly what the process is behind them and how they're allowed to call themselves ESG. And they tend to chase the same assets. So that is definitely a structural issue. The other one is that, um, you know, governments and regulators haven't come forward to to, to decide what the taxonomy is and that's why we really do welcome the EU action plan and we're also in dialogue uh, as part of the discussion in order to formulate this EU action plan. So that's something that can't come fast enough uh, from our perspective. And then um, what I think is important to keep in mind, again, from the perspective of an investor, companies that aren't ESG uh, going forward and don't, don't meet the criteria that will be established, their cost of capital will rise. Because the more money that goes into ESG vehicles so is given to us. To invest in an ESG way um, is given to the Norwegian pension plan to invest in an ESG way. It doesn't matter uh, who it's given to. It's ESG determined money and it will need to invest in ESG. And that means that companies that don't meet those standards won't have access to those pools of capital. Mm -hmm. It means that those companies will have to have a higher cost of capital. So another reason why they're likely going to underperform
0: yeah for sure oh well focusing on eu taxonomy actually because uh the european union is working really hard to get it done and push it through as soon as they can so you work with fund managers you select fund managers for some of the mandates um is that a concern how can they rise up to the occasion because right now a lot of companies have their own idea of esg and they implement it already but if that comes through they will have to rebalance maybe
1: yeah sure yes um as an allocator it's important to us uh, to understand the uh the, the funds third-party funds that we use um, if they are ESG or if they consider this ESG, they actually meet our criteria for ESG. So we are also an asset management company and, and the Cleantech Fund, for example, is a fund that uh, we allocate to in ESG because um, there is a clear impact reporting. So for each holding within Cleantech, so that's a typical e-fund, it's a, it's a fund with the objective to lower CO2 emissions through a positive impact. I.e. You're allocating capital um, Into a company that is making a positive impact to reduce the amount of carbon emissions within a certain industry, and and they do a very um, a very sp- specific and precise um, impact reporting in that they work out exactly how much CO2 do they create because we all create CO2 and how we're working right now using the cloud we're creating CO2 on our laptops with metal in them, um, and then the and then the point is to find out. Um, what are the mitigating circumstances? What are we doing in order to reduce CO2? So, working in a climate-neutral building, uh, for example, or um, if we're investing, if the Clean Tech Fund is investing in a uh, in a energy company to see, you know, are they making um, um, solutions that reduce the, the the carbon impact or not? So that's very important for us that the that the the funds that we allocate to are um, really aware and can um, report. The, the impact that they're having in terms of reducing um, the CO2 emissions, if it's an environmental fund, or the positive impact they're making from a social perspective, i.e. making sure that supply chains are free of slavery and the like, um, or from a governance perspective, that they are involved in e- engaging with the companies that they're in, involved with to make sure the governance is, is being improved. So yeah, the reporting elements is the most important part for us.
0: Because if you focus on reporting, let's say, um, if you look at the list of the Morningstar sustainably compliant funds, let's say, the best performance end up being tax strategies, which is to an extent understandable because they don't need to produce anything, but in the same time, aren't we limiting our scope because they're definitely. Using less, uh, like, or producing, sorry, less CO2 emissions, but are they really making the long term change?
1: Yeah, exactly. So that, that's exactly where we get really excited because it's, it's a completely wrong analysis of what ESG investing should all be about. It should all be about measuring the impact you're having. And, you know, to say that you don't like exposure to the mining industry um, because you think mining companies are dirty uh, at the same time, you know, uh, sending a WhatsApp on your on your iPhone it doesn't work because your iPhone wouldn't exist without the mining industry. So you can't just ignore them and not invest in them because they're dirty, but at the same time use all their products. So what's much more important is to engage with companies across all sectors and make sure that they're responsible for the actions that they take. Make sure that the sourcing of cobalt, for example, is in compliance with governance standards that ESG um, sets for them. So um, it is important to be invested across all sectors and to really understand the positive impact that you can be having by doing a a real analysis of of, of how you're investing and to try and improve the ESG footprint across all of them, across E, across S, across G, uh, and not just selectively saying, okay, because I'm invested um, in a tech name, that means that there's no environmental damage.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Can you give me one example of the engagement that resulted in a, a significant change for the company that you hold or invest in, if you can give that example, of course
1: um well i mean it's not so easy to have like you know one action that resulted from uh, mm-hmm. from from an engagement but it's much more a longer process that we have with with management in order to set the direction the strategic direction of the company because um if if again i talk about the cleantech fund um you know there we have long-term as long-term shareholders we tend to have long-term engagement um with management of the companies that we're invested in and um and so from that perspective it goes all the way down to Something as boring now as as um, as you know a sustainability report, so that there is a commitment to having audited numbers, externally audited um, numbers, uh, to show what the impact is on um, on on E, on S, and on G, and and moving companies in that right direction, and standing in the way if management comes up with some strategic or um, idea to move uh, towards uh, an an area that might be potentially lucrative in terms of short-term revenue growth, but then would conflict with our investment in them as a positive impact company. So um, that dialogue is very important because we'll say, listen, we, we would need to sell the position if you decide to move in this direction, because it would no longer be in line with our objectives. We hold a stake in Vestas because we believe that the businesses they're involved in have a positive impact. If they suddenly decide that they want to open, you know, uh, some sort of an unsustainable operation to, to, to generate energy that's not in line with the ESG standards, then we would have to reconsider our position.
0: Mm-hmm. But you haven't excluded any companies recently based on this change in trajectory, let's say.
1: Uh, it's not, exclu- no, we haven't removed any positions, but there are mm-hmm. plenty of positions we haven't taken because mm-hmm. they didn't meet the standards.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan, thank you very much for joining us today. It was a very stimulating conversation, ESG and all.
1: Thank you, Margarita.